When Dorothy suddenly finds herself in the hospital waiting to go under the knife, her childhood fears rear their ugly head. Sure, no one wants to wear a gown that exposes their bums, but Rose and Blanche are counting on Dorothy's dancing feet for their upcoming dance recital. Will Dorothy follow through on the procedure? Will Blanche overcome her own fear and perform in front of others outside her bedroom? Will Sophia see a platypus chopping shoes in the clouds? Let's find out in today's episode, The Operation. Thank you for the friendship. We've come so far and traveled wide. You're my best friends. I could never lie. I love when we party, dance, and sing. And laugh just doing our thing. No matter the misters that come Starting at the entrance with mine and Coco's grandmother's favorite flowers, Birds of Paradise, we see a worried Rose walk up to the door and quickly open it, and coming behind her is a figure. Changing views, we're in the living room with Sophia and see the door open and reveal that the figure was Blanche, assisting Dorothy into the house. Dorothy is clearly hurt and Sophia, oh my gods, at the sight. While Dorothy appears to be in physical pain, she's able to stubbornly say, it's nothing. Blanche concurs, it's just a pulled muscle. But you know what? That is something, and it does hurt. I wish we all didn't feel the need to act so tough all the time. Okay, I wish us ladies didn't feel that way. We've all seen a man with a cold. Rose casually explains that the injury occurred at their tap dance class, when Dorothy attempted a six-count Cincinnati rift with a double pullback. And yes, those are the names of real tap moves. Equally casually, but also in a bit of a humble brag, Rose says, it goes a little something like this, and proceeds to perform a tap dancing jig right there in the entryway. Betty is able to pull those moves because, like the other ladies, they came from the era of, you better be a multi-hyphenate if you want this part, baby. That was part of the deal back in the early days of television. The idea of a triple threat, someone that could sing, dance, and act, was of great importance. Another reason I love that they had Debbie Reynolds on for the finale. She was the queen of the triple threat and the perfect example of old Hollywood. If you watch carefully while the awkwardly loud and fake applause for Rose's performance fades out, Blanche's hand is kind of going side to side, giving Rose's performance a rating of, eh, that was all right. Sophia also disregards Rose's dancing, saying it looks the same as her friend when she got her medication changed. This leads us to some exposition from Blanche and Dorothy. Turns out they have a dance recital in a week, and with Dorothy's injury, they aren't sure if they'll be able to perform. I don't know what kind of dance group they're part of, perhaps it's part dance, part fashion class, as the ladies are all in heavy, layered clothing that seems like it would be more effective as a personal sauna than dance wear. Rose is representing our reds and pinks with her ensemble, Blanche in blue, Sophia in yellow, and of course Dorothy is holding down the purple, complete with purple leg warmers. Hey Alicia, this is Coco. Hello Coco. You know, watching that I knew that those were called leg warmers, and I, and I remember them being a fashion from when I was a boy, but I didn't know their intended purpose. 
my understanding, and I've not looked into this extensively, but my understanding is that, yes, they are actually leg warmers. And the whole idea was as you're doing your jazzercise and everything, you're keeping your muscles warm so that, like, you don't cramp or something. But you'll notice people don't really wear them now for exercise, so I don't think they did that much. But they're kind of cute. So No, they're a great a great little... Uh little add to it to an outfit but the it's like the, yeah the leg warmers are like the the thing from back in the day that would like shake you yeah to make you lose weight yeah or like when you like put your head in a you like put your body in a box and oh like yeah like the little sauna box out. yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. leg warmers basically evolved into what they are now which is like those boot socks uggs no <laughs> <laughs> they're like special socks that are only so tall and they stick out of your boot so it looks like you're wearing like cute decorative socks but really they're just partial fabric they're basically a leg dickie. fashion it's a leg dicky they're basically leg warmers that have been repurposed into fashionable boot accessories and lies and lies leg dickies you may be thinking that due to B being so tall or having been busy as a marine she wasn't a tap dancer Au contraire. I don't know how technically accurate any of them were, but I have seen a video of B and Betty tap dancing or maybe it's soft shoeing in the 70s. You can Google it. Betty White, B. Arthur, 42nd Street. It's a great clip. They both look so cool. Yeah. And relaxed. Oh, yeah. And B's just got like long, flowy clothes and her arms are moving kind mm-hmm. of slower. It's definitely more of like a soft shoe soft look. Shoe, yeah. And so she's just kind of and yeah, it's so old school. And it's fun to see Betty and B back in the day. You've got Maude going on and Mary Tyler Moore, I would assume at that time to see them in that thing because everyone always talks about them not getting along. And it's yeah. like, no, they were just different people but they could still work together. So it's a fun one. With Rose and Blanche both sounding fretful about Dorothy's prognosis, she assures them she's had this pain flare up and go away for years. It's no big deal and she'll be fine. In hopes it would quell their concerns, the ladies ask Dorothy to go to the doctor. She answers by changing the subject to asking what Sophia is knitting. Well, it's a cover for her sherry bottle, of course. Not to make it look nice because it's in the house, but to disguise it when she's drinking in the park so no one mooches off of her. Sherry is a specially fermented and fortified wine that, surprising to me at least, isn't from Italy. Its origins are actually Spanish, but sherry is an Italian staple. As more questions are asked, Sophia tells of a dream situation that once a month she and some girlfriends meet at the park, get a little tipsy off Sherry, and stare at the clouds discussing their shapes. This sounds a lot like a club my dad is actually a member of, the Cloud Appreciation Society. There is a website. There is membership. And then you can submit your own photos, and each month one is chosen as the favorite. Your dad, every time I've been over to their house puts on a live YouTube stream of a <laughs> cafe in St. Augustine, Florida that's just a sidewalk camera and you can watch what's happening on the street. And it's very charming and also one of the weirdest things I've ever experienced. My dad is very interesting. He likes to study people and things and how stuff works. He's very curious. And yeah, so the cloud thing isn't he doesn't lay out and like stare at the clouds. He loves them like 
from an airplane. So if he's going somewhere to work, he's, oh, look at these clouds, so gorgeous. And yes, every time I go over now, this has just been in the last few months, and he turns it on and he's checking it. It's it's like his way of checking the weather, except it's the other side of the country. Yeah. So yesterday he turns it on. And he's like, oh, too bad. It's a slow day because they've got a big rainstorm for Father's Day. Oh, man, they're not going to have anyone on their patio. <laughs> did that did him watching uh, him watching that? Did that start during quarantine? Yes. Aha. Well, that makes that makes some sense then. Yeah. He's lost his mind. <laughs> For anyone that doesn't know who Pat Sajak is, he is the host of Wheel of Fortune, our favorite word puzzle game show that has been on the air since 1975 and was also the star of Sophia's Cloud Vision. Fun fact, Pat Sajak is 74 years old. Another fun fact, my three closest gal pals, Jamie Jaws and my Murder in the Rain co-host Emily, have all been on the Wheel of Fortune, went to the final round, and altogether they won over $150,000 combined. Dorothy decides she's ready for some food and she's ready to walk again, or hobble at least, which she does with Blanche following. As Sophia gets back to her knitting, she starts to count out the stitch she's doing, a purl stitch, which she counts stitch one, purl two. Rose takes the rhythm of her counting and taps her way across the living room, bothering everyone, especially Blanche. Rose can't help her tapping ways. She's excited. She's always wanted to tap, and she always gets too excited. Like how when she mentions very casually, but with the distant stare of a war veteran, that she used to pet her cat too hard. Did Rose kill her pet cat? Before the ladies can dig into the cat mystery any further, Dorothy's pain is back, and it nearly topples her over. Now we aren't worried so much about Rose's cat as she's moved on to the story of her father shooting their horse, old Toby, because he had a broken leg. The makeup of a horse's leg is actually very complicated, and the use of their legs is far more necessary than in some other animals due to their physicality. That's why, even to this day, horses are euthanized if they break a leg. Fun fact. Nay. Bringing a salad to the table. Okay, I get that they're trying to eat healthy, which is good, but they just got out of a dance class. Aren't you starving? Don't you want, like, to carb load or something? The idea of going to the doctor is once again presented, and Dorothy once again refuses, because she's been to the doctor for this injury already, just 21 years prior. What's your favorite post-workout food? What do you like to do to... To refuel Well, after just shredding everything. I don't frequently shred things. It's been, to quote Stained, it's been a while. I did read a few years ago that they found the best thing to have after a workout is chocolate milk because of the sugars and the fats and the whatnot. So Was it on Nestle.com? It was. Written by the Nesquik <laughs> rabbit? I don't think I have a go-to. Do you? I've never worked out. Not buying Dorothy's BS that she's okay, Blanche says, prove it, and asks her to give a Cincinnati time step, which sounds kind of dirty out of context. So, of course, Dorothy can't do it because she's in pain. This convinces her she will go to the doctor. And maybe while she's there, Blanche suggests, she gets her two left feet corrected so she'll perform better. Having two left feet wouldn't leave you very balanced. That's why the phrase is used for someone that can't dance. The first documented use of the phrase goes all the way back to 1915. 
We can only assume it's the next day as we view the house from the outside. Instead of the usual transition music, though, it's a piano playing what sounds to be just kind of a few chords so the production didn't have to pay for the use of a song. This is one of the most iconic moments in the series. I'm sure you super fans listening can do the dance along with me. For anyone not familiar, we enter the house, piano still playing, to find that the ladies have done to the house what I do when I feel like working out to just dance, which is to rearrange the entire living room. The couch is pushed back, the rug is rolled up, who knows where the bar or television have gone. Blanche is in casual chic with black pantyhose, a black leotard playing the part of her panties, a red t-shirt, and an unbuttoned, I'm the cool mom that does gardening, loose light blue and polka dot cover shirt. I never realized until this viewing that she isn't wearing leggings. She's just out there, which is very on brand for Blanche. Meanwhile, Rose is keeping it more conservative with the same black stockings but a black dance skirt covering her bits and a tied-up shirt that was clearly inspired by Blanche's bedroom banana leaves. And they're right to worry about Dorothy getting well enough to perform. While their solos are each an eight count, Dorothy's is a whopping 32. That's for the music nerds out there. I love how even in this dance, you get so much of their personalities— Rose kind of takes it more serious, but is also a little silly with her movements, while Blanche moves as slow as possible while still being on the beat, as to ooze sexiness. And don't even get me started on Rose's end pose with her little knee kicked out. Again, very Debbie Reynolds. This all reminds me of one of my favorite films, which I believe we've talked about before, Coco, which is What's the Matter with Helen? It's like if whatever happened to Baby Jane took acid. After their practice has concluded, Sophia and a special guest enter the frame, Sophia from the kitchen door, and the boom mic from the top right corner. Snarky Sophia grumpily makes the joke, I won't dance, don't ask me. Originally written for the 1934 musical The Three Sisters, I Won't Dance was almost lost to the flopping of said musical. But then, a year later, some lyrics were rewritten and the song was added to the musical film Roberta, starring Fred Astaire. With that star power behind it, the song became an instant standard and has been covered by Lady Gaga and Tony Bennett, Willie Nelson and Diana Krall, Ella Fitzgerald, Johnny Mathis, and of course, Old Blue Eyes himself, Frank Sinatra. The door opens, and it's my grand mirror. Wait, no, it's just her twin, Dorothy, in an almost all-white, with the exception of some pops of yellow around the shoulders and collar, windbreaker getup with large clip-on earrings and tall gray hair. I mean, this is grand mirror all the way, especially since Dorothy now has a cane. Coco here. Hi, Coco. What does grand mirror mean? Um, it, I, I think it's French. I'm not positive or like a French variation. Uh, when grandkids were born, I was the first on that side. And my mom asked her, what do you want to be called? And she chose Grand Mirror. Funny enough, all the other grandkids came along and they all chose something different, like Mima and Momu and Mamu and like all these things. And we're all just like, no, it's Grand Mirror. Like that's what she wanted. <laughs> May she rest. Though the cane makes things look bad, Dorothy assures everyone that she's okay. Sophia knows, as all mothers do, when their child is lying and she calls Dorothy out. And she's right, Dorothy was lying. 
It turns out she's dealing with the painful condition Morton's neuroma. It's a condition that targets the ball of your foot and, according to the Mayo Clinic, usually the area between your third and fourth toes. Basically, the tissue around the nerves in that area thickens to the point that it feels like your sock is balled up or that you're stepping on a pebble. It can lead to numbness in your toes and pain throughout your foot. Because of this, Dorothy will need to have surgery. You know, as someone who has dealt with a fair amount of foot problems, foot Mm. pains, foot issues, it it just affects your life. It affects every aspect of your life, and you don't realize it until it's happening. And try not to let it happen to you if it's something that's preventable. Oh, yeah. Thank you for listening. Have you ever been under anesthesia? Never. Me neither. Hopefully I won't ever have to. Same. You know what's great? This is great. My whole life I've been like so afraid of anesthesia because I'm afraid of what I'll say when I wake up. I don't know what it's going to be, but I feel that you would guide me away from things and not judge what I said. No. And I hope that I would wake up from it and be like one of those people who wakes up and is like amazed at their spouse or like, I get to be, you know, right. Or like, wow, that's what a sky looks like. Yeah. That would be so great. Yeah, or get like real emotional about like yeah anything existence oh, us best. out of quarantine. Yeah, when I'm like, oh, the nurse won't come live with us. She's my best friend. <laughs> the name Morton's neuroma rings a bell to Blanche, but after expressing confusion as to how Dorothy got it on her foot, it's clear she's confusing it with a sexually transmitted infection. Dorothy won't even humor that question. She just glares it into oblivion. In trying to calm her concerned ma, Dorothy explains it's just a small tumor and she's had it for years, but it's benign and not a big deal. That's why she's never going to get the surgery done. Why? Because hospitals are home to doctors, blood, death, and those nightgowns that expose your butt, something I was genuinely scared of as a kid. Completely. Still am. I don't want that. Or like as a kid senior, I don't know if you ever saw a family member, like maybe a grandparent or something, you're like, oh my God, I saw part of their butt. No, but I've seen both of my parents in hospital beds, in Johnny's, as I think they call them, and I hated it. It is not, it is a very, it's not weak, it's just It's a a vulnerable. Thank you. Yes, it's a very vulnerable uh, look. Yes. Just, everyone looks very small in a hospital gown. Yeah, they're always too baggy, and then just, what if you need something, and then you're just mostly naked, yeah. It's just like, yeah, the barest of clothing. It's almost like inhuman. (laughs) It's barely a human dressing. (laughs) Oh, my God. You're just meat when you're in the hospital. (gasps) Dorothy really sells this line, her voice almost cracking with fear at the idea of an uncovered derriere. Taking the role of comforter is Rose. Hospitals aren't scary. You'll be fine. Taking the role of the no nonsenser is Blanche. This is your health, and you need to stop messing with it. Neither help. So Sophia pulls out the big guns. Catholic guilt. Oh, you're too scared for the doctor? Fine. I'll just suffer worrying about you. And if the worry won't do it, I'll guilt you further by reminding you I was in labor for 23 hours and worked as a fry cook to pay for your college. And, well, I'm sure she could go on for about 60 more years worth of stories. This method, of course, works, and Dorothy agrees to get the surgery. It appears as though Dorothy has followed through, as it's the evening and we're outside a hospital. I hope the ladies can visit the maternity ward to celebrate any baby girls being born, because this room is a pink party. 
Rose, pink, purple, and white floral dress. Blanche, pink dress. Sophia, dark purple cardigan. Dorothy, pink nightgown. The outfits with the wall color of sad beige and the depressingly pale art on the wall are all screaming mid-80s. It won't be long before Rose becomes a candy striper at the hospital, but for now, she's whatever the opposite is of that, and she can only think about how many people must have died in the very room they're standing in. This does not help Dorothy feel relaxed. It's kind of like Rose and Blanche have switched roles, from Rose comforting to now morbidly musing, to Blanche being realistic to, isn't this room just lovely? While she's trying hard to be positive, Blanche is giving her lovely a real Virginia twang. Virginia is in her sister, not the state. As Sophia snacks on the weirdly over... I knew that. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) sir, please don't scream at me. (laughs) She gives, uh, Blanche gives a double-barreled lovely. She goes lovely, love. She does it twice, right? Yes, and I wonder if that was purposely written because when Virginia comes, the transplant episode, when Virginia comes and she's like, oh, I hear you, how you're describing the house. Lovely. It's just lovely. And so then she's there. So I'm wondering if that's kind of like a deep cut of like she's it's it is BS that she was right about Virginia. And now she's using that same thing to be like, no, it's just lovely. It's it's lovely. <laughs> As Sophia snacks on the weirdly oversized fruit bowl at the end of the bed, she once again puts Dorothy in her pity party place by saying, This ain't rough. I got my appendix taken out in Sicily, where their idea of anesthetics was a pillow over your face. Sorry to call you out, Sophia, but some of the first anesthetics were used in Europe back in the 1200s. Not that they were so medically advanced, per se. Some anesthetics were just sponges soaked in opium. I don't know if it helped with the pain, but you probably didn't think about it much. My hypothesis? This wasn't a Sicily thing. This was what happens when you go to Kaiser for medical care. hey When a nurse enters, announcing visiting hours are over and everyone has to go home, Dorothy takes that as her cue to leave. No dice. Let's stop here. What kind of insurance does Dorothy have that she can stay overnight before a surgery? My dad had surgery once at like 5 a.m. and we got there at 4. Sure would have been nice to have just been there already. The nurse may not look familiar here, but if you look up Belita Moreno, her face will ring a bell. Some films and shows she has been a part of include Mommy Dearest, Full House, Perfect Strangers, Roseanne, Murphy Brown, Clear and Present Danger, Melrose Place, Gross Point Break, and as Benny on The George Lopez Show. And no, she is not related to Rita Moreno from the Empty Nest episode. The girls go to leave, and Dorothy literally struggles to let them go. Now, the night before her surgery and with her friends gone, a doctor comes in to break some news. The original doctor won't be doing her surgery, as he's in some hot water regarding medical malpractice. What did I tell you ladies about going to Kaiser? They almost killed my dad. I can make these jokes. As not comforting as that information is, the doctor continues. Not only will you not get the doctor you expected, but this guy that just walked in the room will be the one performing the surgery. And he wishes he was half as good as the doctor that might be going to jail for not being a good doctor. This doctor is being played by prolific character actor Robert Picardo. With 237 acting credits to his name, I can only barely scratch the surface by mentioning some of his more famous roles, like on Kojak, Taxi, 
Total Recall, he was Coach Cutlip on The Wonder Years, La La, Dinosaurs, Home Improvement, Star Trek Voyager, Stargate Atlantis, and more cartoon and video game voices than I can count. The Doctor continues to make the situation uncomfortable, going on about the Doctor's mix-up, explaining that, of course, Dorothy could die getting this simple surgery. That's why she needs to sign the waiver. This interaction has left Dorothy totally uneasy and distraught. Then, like a revolving door, we get another guest. This time, it's a priest that, in his own mix-up, has come to give a dead-looking Dorothy her last rites. Waking her with his holy water, Dorothy, confused, asks what's going on. Apparently, even the priest went to the Kaiser School of Medicine, as he is in the wrong room giving the wrong person the wrong rites. When it comes to the last rites, as someone who is extremely un-Catholic, I can say they are basically the final prayer and communion of a dying person. Coco, you went to Catholic school. Do you have any additional information that you retained through the years? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Oh, is that the prayer? Is that the last rites? For thy rod and thy staff... As I layeth by the cool waters and the grass, heaven. The priest part is played by actor Bill Quinn. While he passed away just a few years after this episode, and this was one of his final appearances, he too had quite the illustrious career. Another busy boy with over 226 credits. After Golden Girls, he was on New Heart, Highway to Heaven, and Star Trek The Final Frontier. With a career that started in 1923, yes, 98 years ago, it's no surprise to see him hit all the famous stops. Perry Mason, The Rifleman, The Lucy Show, The Munsters, Bonanza, Night Gallery, Mary Tyler Moore, All in the Family, Little House on the Prairie, The Twilight Zone movie, and was even in a pilot called Mr. Terrific. No, not that Mr. Terrific. The priest makes his leave after his embarrassing mix-up, but ominously states he'll return the following day post-surgery. This concerning thought, not that the priest would return, but that Dorothy would need her last rites, sends Dorothy into a desperate escape. Back at the house, we're in Blanche's boudoir, where she is once again trying to perfume herself to death. The implications of what is going on in this scene. I mean, really look at this. She is at home. It's the night before her best friend's surgery, and she's sitting alone in her room, looking at a mirror, and spraying herself with perfume before going to bed. This is some real narcissistic, perhaps even psychotic behavior. Blanche's back door is rarely used. The one in her bedroom, that is. Hey-oh! Spicy. Uh-huh. Spicy. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it's so odd to see her curtains somewhat open, revealing that Dorothy is trying to sneak into the house. And you pointed out, Coco, that it's almost like it's at a corner, like there are two doors almost. It looks like they're, yeah, there are like cornered or at least sliding windows. glass doors or something. Yeah. Oh, maybe it's maybe the other one is one of those windows that you see that Dexter has in Dexter. Oh, It goes yeah. from the ceiling and then like kind of goes down and there's like little slats. Oh, maybe. So maybe this, there's, there's downtown downtown slats. <laughs> but also it's like, so then her room, even though it's next to the hallway and the bathroom, but part of her room is out further from the house so she can have this corner and this am, weird patio space for Dorothy to walk on. I defer to you on that. I, I do not understand the No uh, one understands the house. the house yet. It's like a vortex house. 
Blanche forces Dorothy to come in and explain herself, which she does. Dorothy says she left the hospital and went to the bus stop where she stopped to think about things and to have a coffee in the coffee shop. While there, she couldn't escape the begging of a wine-drunk Elvis impersonator that needed bus fare to get to Graceland, which is Elvis's home in Tennessee. So she left the cafe and went home. Blanche doesn't even have time to react before Ellen, I mean Rose, bursts into Blanche's bedroom. Rose starts to frightfully describe the cane-holding, ugly-face-having, Dorothy-coat-wearing, scary man that was lurking outside her window. Seeing Dorothy on the bed, looking exactly like the ugly, scary man she saw, wearing Dorothy's black trench coat, Rose quickly begins to backpedal. With the terror subsided, the girls gang up on Dorothy to ask her why she's there. She panicked. Simple as that. Blanche states, you're going to be fine. Rose kind of does too before reminiscing about her days as a candy striper and all the medical mistakes she was witness to. Candy stripers are typically young women that volunteer at hospitals. Starting in 1944, they got their name from the red and white candy cane looking outfits they wore. As cute as the name was, they are more dignified than that and are now referred to as junior volunteers. This information upsets the big ugly man, I mean Dorothy, and she asks for Rose to cram it. We get a little bit of a plot whoopsie here regarding fears. Blanche says hers is of flying, but when we get to the fear episode in the future, the fear of flying is designated to Dorothy. Cutting Blanche off, Dorothy weaves a tale of Blanche making passionate love to a pilot, and that's what cured her fear of flying. Blanche is still afraid of flying, but Dorothy's story of sexual escapades a mile high have her reconsidering. Rose pushes one more time. You've got to get over your fears. But stubborn Dorothy just won't budge. Nothing will get her back for the surgery. Then that nothing walks in the room. Sophia is shocked to find her daughter home and demands answers. Just like Sophia warned about Dr. Newman, the mothers are always to blame. And that's exactly what happened. Dorothy had her tonsils taken out when she was five years old, and she was left alone at the hospital. Sophia has a valid excuse, though. She was in Cleveland for Uncle Mario's funeral, an uncle so despised he was stabbed 23 times at a block party, and conveniently, there were no witnesses. Sal had to leave to go to work so that he could pay for the surgery, leaving a young and scared Dorothy to go through the surgery alone. Sophia offers one option, the Sicilian one. Ladies, get the supplies for a home surgery. As scary and serious as Sophia sounded, she was only making the point that Dorothy sounded kind of dumb. But fears are legitimate, so yes, for her health she needs to get over it, but she's still allowed to be scared about it. Coco. Dorothy says she's scared of the hospital because when she was a little kid that happened. Do you have a current fear or phobia that you can trace back to something from your childhood? When I was a kid, my dad almost burnt down his condo. He lit a fire in the fireplace, went to go run an errand. I was there. I was young. Smoke and fire department, and it was horrible. It was very shameful, embarrassing for me. <laughs> I'm uh, afraid of firemen now. <laughs> a fireman. No, no. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, I'm, I'm, I have always had a, uh, a pretty large fear of like, the place I'm living in burning down. Yeah. Because it is pretty easy. Mm -hmm. You know, fire is not something we technically have control over. Thank you. 
Well, it looks like Dorothy made it back to the hospital as we watch her get wheelchaired into her room. Except now she has a guest. No, not the guy that was supposed to get his last rites. Someone else. Her new roomie is Bonnie, and if I were peaceful, stretching, comfortable Bonnie, hearing the roars of Dorothy's complaints about the wheelchair, the testing, and the exposure via that dreaded hospital gown, well, it wouldn't take me long to slam that dividing curtain closed and ask for a new room. As colicky Dorothy gets settled into bed, Bonnie throws in some passive-aggressive pettiness that I just love. Oh, hey lady that won't stop bitching about literally everything, I hope my happiness and peace isn't disturbing you. Dorothy craps all over Bonnie's exercising as she explains that she's the one going under the knife the next day. What is this, a hospital or Motel 6? Go home! Come back when it's time for your surgery, you guys. While reading a book titled The Web We Weave, which, unsurprisingly, is the title of several books, I couldn't find the exact one, so I'm sorry to leave you hanging on that very important detail. Dorothy is wearing a blue pinstriped nightgown that has the length of a football field and the vibe of, I work on Wall Street, while Bonnie is in a nightgown that I'm quite certain I had as a child, or maybe a doll did. It's light pink with too many buttons and too much neck coverage for someone that is trying to relax before surgery. But Bonnie doesn't need help relaxing. She's getting a procedure done tomorrow that she's already had done before. Three years ago, she had gotten a mastectomy, which is the removal of a breast most commonly due to cancer, and now she's back for the other side, meaning she'll be a double mastectomy survivor. She's scared but strong. She's been there and knows she has to get through it, she honestly and earnestly tells Dorothy like it is. She isn't purposely trying to teach Dorothy a lesson, but Bonnie's frankness about the hardships she knows lie ahead of her forced Dorothy to look at herself. Here she is, being a pain for everyone, throwing a fit about getting some surgery on her foot so she can continue dancing, and she's acting a fool. This woman has already lost part of her body. She's about to lose another and is exercising and trying to make Dorothy feel better. Bonnie is being played by the beloved Anne Haney. While she passed away in 2001, she had many wonderful roles. And if you think Bonnie is inspiring, listen to this. Anne was married and had a child. Then her husband died and she was a single mom. After her daughter left for college, she was like, okay, I'd like to do something I always wanted to do, which is acting. So let's learn from Bonnie and Anne that life is short. Enjoy it and try new things. While she had roles on Who's the Boss, Columbo, and St. Elsewhere, my personal favorites are of the secretary on Liar Liar and the CPS worker from Mrs. Doubtfire. The scene where Robin Williams comes up with the cream pie on his face going, Oh, hello! It's at her. The water's oh. boiling. Legend. <laughs> As Bonnie continues speaking in motivational poster, Dorothy has fallen silent. When Bonnie realizes, she checks in on her. We cut to a mid-shot of Dorothy, looking stunning in what I call way too much makeup for going to sleep at a hospital. And there are tears in her eyes. She's not crying, really, just realizing how silly she's been. She's realized that, as valid as her fears may be, they may have been a little over the top given the situation. We fade out on the ladies and return to the house, moon over Miami style, and find Blanche looking distraught at the kitchen table. 
I know this episode aired in February of 1986, but I don't think she needs to be wearing what appears to be a thick fleeced sweater with a fun multicolored scarf. Before we can find out what's wrong, Rose flings the kitchen door open with dance shoes and hands. In a trench coat, not a black one, but the tan, I'm not wearing anything under here kind, as well as with a scarf, Rose looks like Dick Tracy on the hunt. She claims to have found Blanche's dance shoes under Sophia's bed. Blanche acts surprised the shoes were there, but it's pretty obvious that she was the one to hide them. As Rose inquires as to what is going on, Blanche claims to have caught whatever Dorothy has. Well, you can't, Blanche. You can't. In this exchange, we learn Sophia is at the hospital with Dorothy as she recovers from her surgery that went just as expected. We also learn Blanche isn't only afraid of flying, but she also has performance anxiety. Well, when it comes to performing in front of large groups. Well, on stage in front of large groups. Alone on stage in front of a group. That is her very unsexy and specific fear. We've already learned of Dorothy's trauma at five, being left alone at the hospital. Now we're learning of Blanche's. At five years old, she was in a dance class. She was nearly the top of the class, but when the curtain opened on the recital, it was all too much, and Blanche peed herself. This gives us another plot whoopsie that we'll get into in the future, where someone else in Blanche's life exhibits some stage fright, yet somehow Blanche doesn't show any signs of her own fear. Or when she was at the Rusty Anchor. Or when she was in Chicken Little. So maybe it's a tap-specific phobia? I have a quick question for you. A Coco question. Coco quick question. Coco quick question here. Did you ever have... I was just thinking watching this, first time I noticed there were really thought about having a door like that in, in a kitchen mm. and then I never really had a kitchen with a regular full door I've had like a couple with pocket doors you know have you ever oh, had as, a, as a pocket door like it slides into, slides the, into wall. the wall yeah so I've had two a couple of those but I've never had a, a separate room like door do you have a door on your kitchen when you were sort a kid sort of um not technically a full door my mom which we'll get in we'll talk to her about this you when mean she's here. Senior correspondent Shelly Holland. Senior correspondent Shelly Holland put up once they moved into my childhood home and again she's like in her late 20s just trying to make a home in the 80s and for some reason even though it was just this ranch house, 1000 square feet, she put up saloon doors. So when you would open the front door right Right when you open it to your left is the kitchen, and it's literally one side is the sink, one side is the oven. There you go. It's a small kitchen. Yeah. Yes. And right there, she would have, she had these double saloon doors. They were slatted, and they had a little curvy do at the top, and boom, boom. I don't know why. I don't remember how long they were there. Several years. Where did they go? She just took them down one day. Well, she I think she changed, them? she changed the decor. No more geeses and... Rabbits and sheep and <laughs> all of that. Potpourri and, <laughs> yes. So no more saloon doors. I'll bad. ask her. We'll find out why. Yeah, she had to hang up her spurs. I loved it as a kid because I played with them. Yeah. They were a what, very fun door to play with. That's what I was thinking. It would be fun. I wish I had had a door like that when I was a kid like they have, uh, the ladies have on the show where you can just run through it and, yes. it, and, it, and it goes, it, it's on a spring. Oh, yeah. Spray. I would... I had them open and close, and I was in and out of the saloon, double-handed, oh my God, throwing yeah. it open, all of it. So they were fun, but cumbersome and made a tiny house feel even smaller because it was separated. 
pointless. Blanche continues her weepy, sad pity party. Looking up with puppy dog eyes, expecting understanding and comfort, Blanche's eyes find Rose. And Rose's lip is kind of gone, so you know she's pissed. And she's pissed because she won't have this Eeyore business from Blanche. They have practiced. They have put their choreography together. They have purchased costumes. Pick yourself up. Get over it. Go do your damn routine. It's fun to see Rose when she gets to be kind of a bossy hard ass. It's so out of character. And it's impossible to disagree with or to say no to. We're back at the hospital where we see the Petrillo woman asleep sort of side by side, Dorothy recovering in the bed, Sophia in the chair next to her. Dorothy startles Sophia awake, surprised to find her there. What, like a mother wouldn't be with her child after surgery? She's clearly making the point that she heard Dorothy's reasoning for hating hospitals and she wants to be there to make up for it. That's why she's been at her side all day, not leaving for anything. Then, of course, when Dorothy needs something, like her pillow fluffed, well, that's not what Sophia is there for. Moral support only, please. When Dorothy turns over to greet Bonnie in the next bed, she sees that she's gone. Disappointed she didn't get to thank her for the pep talk, Sophia says she only sent her to the cafeteria. It's not like she's the Lone Ranger. That's a reference to the radio show, which became a TV show, which became movies, about a masked ranger that would save the day. Usually, once someone had been rescued and learned it was the Lone Ranger, they would want to thank him, but he would be far away on a hilltop. We didn't get to see Dorothy share her gratitude with Bonnie, nor do we learn of her outcome. That's because instead of Bonnie, we get treated to a private performance by Blanche and Rose, a.k.a. the coat models of our dreams. Coco, I liked your theory about Bonnie. Is she just a ghost? Yeah, did anyone interact with her? Did anyone talk to her except for Dorothy? Oh, I guess Sophia claims that she sent her, but but then why is she there for two days? Was that the day of her surgery then? And Sophia's sending her out to get to do errands. Yeah, like, sorry that you had your mastectomy. Will you get me some water? (laughs) As Rose and Blanche check up on Dorothy, they also have to hear far too much from Sophia about how tired and uncomfortable she is. Dorothy is delighted to hear the performance went well, and well it did go, as the ladies have been invited to multiple upcoming events. Well, not all the ladies. See, they performed as the two Merry Widows, not the Dorothy-inclusive Tip-Tap Trio. So Dorothy, healed foot or not, is out, making the surgery kind of moot. I mean, she did take care of her health and all, but still... To prove to her they've updated their act, the ladies pull the curtain, drop their coats, and reveal sparkling, bedazzled tuxedo leotards complete with tails, collars, canes, and top hats. It's a vaudevillian drag queen dream. Speaking of what's the matter with Helen, the ladies are dancing to the classic jazz standard Tea for Two, which is also featured in that film. Originally written in 1924, Tea for Two was used in the musical No No Nanette. It's a very impressive turnaround. Not the fact that they completely changed their act in the matter of days, but the turnaround that they somehow worked into a new choreography so they could end the dance facing Dorothy, which doesn't make any sense for a stage performance. The ladies are dancing dreams, and we are all so excited to see Blanche maybe overcame her fear of the stage. As the music ends and the ladies await praise from the friend they left in the dust, Dorothy asks to see Rose's hat. Without a word, Dorothy grabs the hat and punches her arm through the top of it. Petty, yes. Childish, 
Yes. Necessary after what they did? Absolutely. And that moment stays as the credits roll, making for one of my all-time favorite freeze frames. The final image, uh, when it when it froze, it just made me want to punch a top hat. <laughs> it does look very satisfying. Yeah. She gets way, I mean, it's like past the elbow. She's, She's almost to the shoulder, it. yeah. When it comes to going under the knife, some might need more encouragement than others. The ladies supported Dorothy's fears, but also wouldn't let her wallow in pity. Pushing herself out of her comfort zone and with the support of her friends, Dorothy is able to conquer the hospital, get her surgery, and get on the road to recovery. Teaching us it's okay to be scared of things, but you can't let them figuratively or literally cripple your life. With good friends by your side and a cheerleading roommate, you too can overcome anything. So let's all take a page out of Bonnie's book. It's okay to be scared. The lack of fear isn't what makes you brave. Being scared and powering through what scares you is what makes you brave. And remember, you'll make it through and be even stronger on the other side. Until next time, thank you for listening and thank you for being a friend. Be sure to join us next week when we explore motherhood once again in Second Motherhood. Changing view equally casually, but also in a bit of a humble blog. Leeches. Sherry is especially fermented and fortified. Fortified. Fermented and fortified. Sherry is especially form. Fermented. No. Sherry is especially. <laughs> <laughs> As Dorothy gets back to her crocheting, knitting, and it's, wow, wow, wow. It's Sophia, and it's knitting, which is very on bland, on bland for Blanche. That's right. You hear that? Anyone who's ever had surgery? Or fun. You were a bad teen. <laughs> <laughs> Yay, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I take a look at my life. I realize there's nothing left. Because I've been blasting a Mac in so long that even my mama thinks that my mind is gone. But I never crossed a man that didn't deserve it. To be treated like a punk? You know that is unheard of. Okay, here we go. Oh, Coolio. Oh, Rips. Bye. Rips. No. His hair. Oh. Line. Line, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and dignity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I won't put this in there. I'm afraid of drowning. Did you almost drown? No. Oh. Uh, ding dong for my mom. Ew. Ding dong for my mom. Gross. You know, and he looks up with the cream pie face and goes, oh, hello. hello. Yeah, I do. It's at her. Oh. Oh. Say, do that again without me screeching. She's not crying, really. Just realizing how sh shilly she's been. This gives... This gives... <laughs> That was her trauma manifesting as an angel. Wow. Going, hey, girl, you don't need to be afraid. It's just your foot, stupid. <laughs> <laughs> you little stupid idiot, baby. <laughs> Someone bring me a top hat. I'm furious. And then bring me them. my ripping papers. <laughs> my tearing celery. <laughs>
What's a butthole besides a sticky little mouth? Always Be My Sisters is written, hosted, and created by Alicia Holland. Produced and edited by Josh McCullough. Always Be My Sisters is a Cascade Media production. You'll always be my sister.